Chapter 2 of From Dictatorship to Democracy, Fourth United States Edition, by Jean Sharp. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 2 The Dangers of Negotiations. When faced with the severe problems of confronting a dictatorship, as surveyed in Chapter 1, some people may lapse back into passive submission. Others, seeing no prospect of achieving democracy, may conclude they must come to terms with the apparently permanent dictatorship, hoping that through conciliation, compromise, and negotiations they might be able to salvage some positive elements and to end the brutalities. On the surface, lacking realistic options, there is appeal in that line of thinking. Serious struggle against brutal dictatorships is not a pleasant prospect. Why is it necessary to go that route? Can't everyone just be reasonable and find ways to talk, to negotiate the way to a gradual end to the dictatorship? Can't the Democrats appeal to the dictator's sense of common humanity and convince them to reduce their domination bit by bit, and perhaps finally to give way completely to the establishment of a democracy? It is sometimes argued that the truth is not all on one side. Perhaps the Democrats have misunderstood the dictators, who may have acted from good motives in difficult circumstances. Or perhaps some may think the dictators would gladly remove themselves from the difficult situation facing the country if only given some encouragement and enticements. It may be argued that the dictators could be offered a win-win solution in which everyone gains something. The risks and pain of further struggle could be unnecessary, it may be argued, if the democratic opposition is only willing to settle the conflict peacefully by negotiations, which may even perhaps be assisted by some skilled individuals or even another government. Would that not be preferable to a difficult struggle, even if it is one conducted by non-violent struggle rather than by military war? MERITS AND LIMITATIONS OF NEGOTIATIONS Negotiations are a very useful tool in resolving certain types of issues in conflicts, and should not be neglected or rejected when they are appropriate. In some situations where no fundamental issues are at stake, and therefore a compromise is acceptable, negotiations can be an important means to settle a conflict. A labor strike for higher wages is a good example of the appropriate role of negotiations in a conflict. A negotiated settlement may provide an increase somewhere between the sums originally proposed by each of the contending sides. Labor conflicts with legal trade unions are, however, quite different than the conflicts in which the continued existence of a cruel dictatorship or the establishment of political freedom are at stake. When the issues at stake are fundamental, affecting religious principles, issues of human freedom, or the whole future development of the society, Negotiations do not provide a way of reaching a mutually satisfactory solution. On some basic issues there should be no compromise. Only a shift in power relations in favor of the Democrats can adequately safeguard the basic issues at stake. Such a shift will occur through struggle, not negotiations. This is not to say that negotiations ought never to be used. The point here is that negotiations are not a realistic way to remove a strong dictatorship in the absence of a powerful democratic opposition. Negotiations, of course, may not be an option at all. 
firmly entrenched dictators who feel secure in their position may refuse to negotiate with their democratic opponents or when negotiations have been initiated the democratic negotiators may disappear and never be heard from again negotiated surrender individuals and groups who oppose dictatorship and favor negotiations will often have good motives especially when a military struggle has continued for years against a brutal dictatorship without final victory it is understandable that all the people of whatever political persuasion would want peace negotiations are especially likely to become an issue among democrats where the dictators have clear military superiority and the destruction and casualties among one's own people are no longer bearable there will then be a strong temptation to explore any other route that might salvage some of the democrats objectives while bringing an end to the cycle of violence and counter-violence the offer by a dictatorship of peace through negotiations with the democratic opposition is of course rather disingenuous the violence could be ended immediately by the dictators themselves if only they would stop waging war on their own people they could at their own initiative without any bargaining restore respect for human dignity and rights free political prisoners end torture halt military operations withdraw from the government and apologize to the people when the dictatorship is strong but an irritating resistance exists the dictators may wish to negotiate the opposition into surrender under the guise of making peace. The call to negotiate can sound appealing, but grave dangers can be lurking within the negotiating room. On the other hand, when the opposition is exceptionally strong and the dictatorship is genuinely threatened, the dictators may seek negotiations in order to salvage as much of their control or wealth as possible. In neither case should the Democrats help the dictators achieve their goals. Democrats should be wary of the traps that may be deliberately built into a negotiation process by the dictators. The call for negotiations when basic issues of political liberties are involved may be an effort by the dictators to induce the Democrats to surrender peacefully while the violence of the dictatorship continues. In those types of conflicts, the only proper role of negotiations may occur at the end of a decisive struggle in which the power of the dictators has been effectively destroyed and they seek personal safe passage to an international airport. Power and Justice in Negotiations If this judgment sounds too harsh a commentary on negotiations, perhaps some of the romanticism associated with them needs to be moderated. Clear thinking is required as to how negotiations operate. Negotiation does not mean that the two sides sit down together on a basis of equality and talk through and resolve the differences that produced the conflict between them. Two facts must be remembered. First, in negotiations it is not the relative justice of the conflicting views and objectives that determines the content of a negotiated agreement. Second, the content of a negotiated agreement is largely determined by the power capacity on each side. Several difficult questions must be considered. What can each side do at a later date to gain its objectives if the other side fails to come to an agreement at the negotiating table? 
what can each side do after an agreement is reached, if the other side breaks its word, and uses its available forces to seize its objectives, despite the agreement. A settlement is not reached in negotiations through an assessment of the rights and wrongs of the issues at stake. While those may be much discussed, the real results in negotiations come from an assessment of the absolute and relative power situations of the contending groups. What can the Democrats do to ensure that their minimum claims cannot be denied? What can the dictators do to stay in control and neutralize the Democrats? In other words, if an agreement comes, it is more likely the result of each side estimating how the power capacities of the two sides compare, and then calculating how an open struggle might end. Attention must also be given to what each side is willing to give up, in order to reach agreement. In successful negotiations there is compromise, a splitting of differences. Each side gets part of what it wants, and gives up part of its objectives. In the case of extreme dictatorships, what are the pro-democracy forces to give up to the dictators? What objectives of the dictators are the pro-democracy forces to accept? Are the Democrats to give to the dictators, whether a political party or a military cabal, a constitutionally established permanent role in the future government? Where is the democracy in that? Even assuming that all goes well in negotiations, it is necessary to ask, what kind of peace will be the result? Will life then be better or worse than it would be if the Democrats began or continued to struggle? Agreeable Dictators Dictators may have a variety of motives and objectives underlying their domination. Power, position, wealth, reshaping the society, and the like. One should remember that none of these will be served if they abandon their control positions. In the event of negotiations, dictators will try to preserve their goals. Whatever promises offered by dictators in any negotiated settlement, no one should ever forget that the dictators may promise anything to secure submission from their democratic opponents, and then brazenly violate those same agreements. If the Democrats agree to halt resistance in order to gain a reprieve from repression, they may be very disappointed. A halt to resistance rarely brings reduced repression. Once the restraining force of internal and international opposition has been removed, dictators may even make their oppression and violence more brutal than before. The collapse of popular resistance often removes the countervailing force that has limited the control and brutality of the dictatorship. The tyrants can then move ahead against whomever they wish. For the tyrant has the power to inflict only that which we lack the strength to resist, wrote Krishnalal Shridharani. Resistance, not negotiations, is essential for change in conflicts where fundamental issues are at stake. In nearly all cases, resistance must continue to drive dictators out of power. Success is most often determined not by negotiating a settlement, but through the wise use of the most appropriate and powerful means of resistance available. It is our contention, to be explored later in more detail, 
that political defiance, or non-violent struggle, is the most powerful means available to those struggling for freedom. What kind of peace? If dictators and democrats are to talk about peace at all, extremely clear thinking is needed because of the dangers involved. Not everyone who uses the word peace wants peace with freedom and justice. Submission to cruel oppression and passive acquiescence to ruthless dictators who have perpetrated atrocities on hundreds of thousands of people is no real peace. Hitler often called for peace, by which he meant submission to his will. A dictator's peace is often no more than the peace of the prison, or of the grave. There are other dangers. Well-intended negotiators sometimes confuse the objectives of the negotiations and the negotiation process itself. Further, democratic negotiators, or foreign negotiation specialists accepted to assist in the negotiations, may, in a single stroke, provide the dictators with a domestic and international legitimacy that they had been previously denied because of their seizure of the state, human rights violations, and brutalities. Without that desperately needed legitimacy, the dictators cannot continue to rule indefinitely. Exponents of peace should not provide them legitimacy. Reasons for Hope as stated earlier, opposition leaders may feel forced to pursue negotiations out of a sense of hopelessness of the democratic struggle. However, that sense of powerlessness can be changed. Dictatorships are not permanent. People living under dictatorships need not remain weak, and dictators need not be allowed to remain powerful indefinitely. Aristotle noted long ago, Oligarchy and tyranny are shorter-lived than any other constitution. All round, tyrannies have not lasted long. Modern dictatorships are also vulnerable. Their weaknesses can be aggravated, and the dictator's power can be disintegrated. In Chapter 4, we will examine these weaknesses in more detail. Recent history shows the vulnerability of dictatorships, and reveals that they can crumble in a relatively short time span. Whereas ten years, 1980 to 1990, were required to bring down the communist dictatorship in Poland, in East Germany and Czechoslovakia, in 1989 it occurred within weeks. In El Salvador and Guatemala in 1944, the struggles against the entrenched brutal military dictators required approximately two weeks each. The militarily powerful regime of the Shah in Iran was undermined in a few months. The Marcos dictatorship in the Philippines fell before people power within weeks in 1986. The United States government quickly abandoned President Marcos when the strength of the opposition became apparent. The attempted hardline coup in the Soviet Union in August 1991 was blocked in days by political defiance. Thereafter, many of its long-dominated constituent nations, in only days, weeks, and months, regained their independence. The old preconception that violent means always work quickly, and nonviolent means always require vast time, is clearly not valid. Although much time may be required for changes in the underlying situation and society, 
the actual fight against a dictatorship sometimes occurs relatively quickly by non-violent struggle. Negotiations are not the only alternative to a continuing war of annihilation on the one hand and capitulation on the other. The examples just cited, as well as those listed in Chapter 1, illustrate that another option exists for those who want both peace and freedom. Political Defiance End of Chapter 2 Read by Kara Schallenberg, www.kray.org on October 3, 2012, in San Diego, California.